Our modern Western culture places little to no value on the power of our nightly dreams to inspire, shift, and reorganize our lives. This podcast demands a deep reconsideration of the role dreams play on our path to a more vital and meaningful life. The following is living proof of the life-affirming power of dreams to affect change and redirect the trajectory of our inner and outer lives. These are the dreams that shape us. Sowing Seeds for the Harvest The title of this episode of The Dreams That Shape Us captures the essence of the fascinating dream shared by our special guest, artist Brenda Faramani. It's a dream that reached far through time after she experienced it, to help her bear the best fruit of her life and heal her relationship with her daughter. It's another dream we offer as proof that dreams are meaningful and worth every bit of time and attention we give them. Another dream that busts the myth that dreams are meaningless and not worth bothering with. Sowing Seeds also captures the season, as we record this episode in the autumn of 2020, after a year that scattered us like seeds looking for new soil to grow in. For some of us, it meant the loss of jobs and education and opportunities, and for others, it meant the loss of health, livelihood, even life. It meant epic changes in the world, and changes produced the seeds of future growth. For almost all of us, 2020 has meant more time away from life as usual, more time for introspection, more time for sleeping, for those of us fortunate enough, and that means more time for dreaming, too. In those dreams, sow the seeds that grow and blossom if they find a willingness in you to tend them and create fertile conditions in your life, in your mind and heart and spirit. Brenda's dream is like a parable. It's a story meant to help her see things from the perspective of the wise mind that creates dreams and parables. Listen to her story about what she learned and how the dream shaped her life forever afterward. And learn for yourself how you can know the true message of a dream and juice its nectar. I'm your co-host, J.M. DeBoard. I'm going to hand you off to my partner in the dream, Stephen Ernenwine, as he interviews Brenda and talk with you again after the interview to drop some tips about how to sit with your dreams, allow them to speak with you, and see them blossom. Uh, thank you, Brenda, for joining me here today. Uh, how, how is everything out there in Colorado? We had rain. and oh, so. Yeah? That's a blessing because of the fire. We live very close to the fire. So, very nice today. No complaints. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you're very welcome. It's been a long time coming, I think, for us to have an actual conversation. (laughs) That's true. That's true. I feel I know you, though. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so I think to begin the conversation, what I was going to ask you was... uh, Do you remember what season of the year it was that you had this dream? I think it was spring, which is odd, but it it calls more attention to the autumn scene that uh, it's in the dream. It's been a very, very long time ago, like over 20 years. Wow. 
Yeah, it's a very old dream. What season would you say you felt you were emotionally in at that time? Definitely autumn. Yeah. I was in my early 40s, maybe I 45 and, uh, you know, entering midlife, which would be autumn, right? Yeah, I would think so. And my children were teenagers. And so I was expecting some really good things to start uh, coming from all my attention and my caring. And, you know, I, I really believed in a harvest that I thought was to be mine. Yeah. Yeah, and your, and so, your dream isn't in autumn, so that's that's interesting. I, I was half expecting you to say that just because the dream takes place in autumn, it seemed appropriate. Yeah. Yeah, I had really high expectations, so. Yeah. And I remember feeling really disappointed with what was happening in my life, just so disappointed, devastated, actually, so. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine, you know, being a, a a father to a young boy, trying to look forward a little bit. I can see with just how much abuse you take this early in parenthood that by the end of it, um, you could feel pretty ragged. Right. I, you know, it, it's such a surprise after having such a good relationship when they're younger and then those turbulent years come and... It's, you know, but if I could go back, I, I would see that there were red flags and there were problems. Uh, been a part of a religion, a fundamentalist religion, which I actually call a cult. And um, I had left that religion and it was very traumatic for me. And children pick up on those kinds of things and so yeah they they my children seem to be te testing me mom what do you believe what do you believe and at that time i believed in nothing so wow. it, was, it was very hard but i uh, took the step you know i give myself pats on the back i took the step to leave the religion because it wasn't authentically me and um, I needed to be free and I could see that it was causing problems for the family so so I think that's what was the backdrop to all of this and even the subject of harvest is kind of a biblical subject Mm. you know yeah so the seeds that you plant you'll you'll have a return on you know uh isn't that one of jesus's parables i think about the harvest uh planting seeds and and yeah uh, i can't quite remember i feel like there's something uh, like that yeah it used to being burned into my psyche and now I can't remember it at all <laughs> but anyway yeah I, I think that that was really at the core of it all and my conditioning which was not loving you know from mm -hmm. my parents and so uh, 
which is a big surprise. And I think it's a good subject for right now because there are so many people who seem to be moved by Christianity and yet there's no love there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting how Christian establishment has just rallied so hard behind Trump. It's just baffling. Yeah. And, and the, um, harshness, the harsh tone of it, like, you know, you fall down and you have to get yourself up, you know? Mm. Yeah. Well, I applaud you for getting out of that. (laughs) Yeah, it was very difficult because in this religion, I'll tell you, uh, we were Jehovah's Witnesses. Okay. And um, you're not allowed to associate with anyone outside the religion. And there's really no graceful way of leaving because when you leave, you're pretty much shunned by all your friends and relatives. So it was a really big decision on my part to to do that and loving my sisters and my parents the way I did it was a very hard thing to do but I I could see that I needed to do it to be true to myself do you have any contact with your family anymore not anymore no wow Mm. yeah I actually I actually listened to a podcast recently that talked about them. And, yeah, the woman who was talking about it said the same exact thing, that they they just completely shut you out. And I was just, just floored by how intense that is. That's Yeah. The only two ways of getting out is to do something to be disfellowshipped or to leave and you're sort of self-shunning then, you know, because yeah. we'll, we'll be allowed to associate with you. So, uh, yeah, it was a really big decision. Yeah, I see that. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it was hard on the whole family. It really was. And I think all my dreams have an element of that in them. And, uh, you know, it's something I keep working on. This dream in particular keeps opening. I don't see a collective layer of meaning in the dream, uh, except for what we just indicated, you know, the the uh, far-right Christian element, that kind of. Mm-hmm. I, I, so I don't know if it really qualifies as a big dream, but. It was what? luminous, and it, it it was very big for my spiritual development, psycho-spiritual development. For sure, yeah. I don't. I, I wouldn't necessarily discredit this as not being a big dream because I mean it. It sounds like based on what I read, uh, the write up that you gave me. I, I mean that to me is, feels like a massive dream. <laughs> so. Well, it, it really got me on the on the right road that I wanted to be on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it did give me, uh, it opened me. That's all I can say. It really opened my heart and allowed me to feel the grace of um, radiance, you know, love radiating, even though I was in a very difficult time. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, why don't we uh, 
finally let the listeners in on what this dream is all about. Okay. So uh, if you want to just take it from the beginning, we'll, uh, we'll see what we got going here. Uh, the dream I want to share with you is called Teenage Scavenger, A Lesson in Love. In the dream, I'm transported to a place high above the clouds. And the land here is arrayed with all the brilliant colors of autumn. I see people, workers in the field. It's a beautiful autumn setting with a small farmhouse at the end of a road. And I take this road, I go up to the porch, and I'm greeted by an angel. And that angel shows me the harvest in several different scenes. And there seems to be a lot of fruit. And she offers to share some fruit with me, and we sit on the front porch of this farmhouse. Every piece of fruit that we open to my surprise, is empty. And one in particular has teeth marks inside and even silverware. And so I know that the, the person that had devoured the fruit was human. <laughs> and uh, the, the angel at the, that time said, I'm sorry, but we've been having trouble with teenage scavengers. And so I sit there disappointed. And at the same time that I have this realization, I hear inside the house in a dark place, a young woman crying. And that young woman is my daughter. Wow. And that's the end of the dream. That's such an amazing dream. It really is. So to begin with, uh, kind of piecing away at what this uh, means for you. Can you just give us like a kind of like a brief overview of how you interpret this dream? Well, if when I first had the dream, I, of course, as many people do, applied it to the reality I was experiencing at that time. And I was having a lot of trouble with my teenage daughter. She was running away and uh, she was into drugs and alcohol and and uh, sex and living very dangerously and it was very upsetting. We thought she was really in some uh, in a dangerous situation. We feared for her life, and so I was. I wanted to apply it literally. Mm -hmm. To my situation and I had been saying to myself as I sat in my misery is this my harvest is this what <laughs> I'm getting out of all of all of my hard work I know why would she do this to her mother you know how parents are why would she do this to me and it felt like a punishment to me I felt like a victim yeah so that was the initial uh, take on the dream. And I think that's a big mistake for dreamers to do that because there's so much richness in it. And it, and it usually, it always has something that has been deeply unconscious that wants to come to the surface. So it, that takes a little time, a little effort to go a little deeper with that. 
Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, I think you had said that you hadn't even really been diving into DreamWorks too fully at that point. No, I I didn't. I barely knew Young, mm-hmm. and I had no idea that this was a. Uh, an area that was really being explored by lots of different groups at the time. And I had no idea. I had no idea what projection was. Yeah. I I feel like uh, even, even a few years into doing dream work, it's still hard to really fight the temptation to look at the dream solely at the kind of, I don't know, the exterior world, like how it, how it relates and overlaps with your waking life versus mm-hmm. how it's talking so poignantly about your own inner life. Right. So yeah. I, I think based on when you had this dream in your dream working practice, I think uh, it's pretty impressive that uh, you did end up leaning in and kind of uncovering more of the internal aspects of this dream. Yeah, that's why I call it a big dream, because it lingered, and it it wouldn't leave me the imagery, the total feeling, the emotional state I was in, and I just kept hearing my daughter cry, and knew that there was something that could be done. I don't know why. I, I felt that there was something that I could do that the dream had a message for me. So I kept sitting with it. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I, I This dream uh, feels very powerful for me too, so I, I can just imagine how it would just continually kind of gnaw at you. I, could, I can totally see how that would, how that would happen. Uh, so to kind of begin to kind of break it up and kind of... I almost just said, uh, <laughs> uh, eat the juice out of each of the parts. It's kind of funny. Don't <laughs> it. Um, so, yeah, uh, so it begins, you have this beautiful view of fall as you kind of come down to the farmhouse. And I think in the Celtic tradition, fall often has such great connotations for like letting go and grieving and, you know, saying goodbye to a phase of your life. And I feel like the scene being set in fall has such power for that, especially for how this dream ends up reshaping your whole perspective on love and your inner self and all that kind of stuff. So I thought that was a, Really kind of interesting. What else do you take away from the setting being in in autumn? I really uh, enjoy your comment there about letting go. I hadn't thought of that before, and I think that's really appropriate. And uh, it was, you know, a time in my life when my children were about to become adults and leave home anyway. And... So feeling already feeling empty nest, mm-hmm. sort of. But of course, every parent wants to see their child leave home happily, and it should be a thing that's celebrated. Right. So I, it was letting go 
but also an opportunity to to welcome something in, I think, at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of opens that space for a whole new thing to happen. Mm-hmm. Nice. So uh, my next question would be, uh, why an angel? I think we, we both know that messengers appear in all forms imaginable in dreams. So why do you think it was so necessary that the dream uh, specifically used an angel here? I don't know. I think probably to get my attention because I was feeling very uh, uh, spiritually starved and mm. and it made me pay attention to something that would be supernatural. Ah, yes. Nice. Take me into that spirit realm. And it was a, uh, definitely a spiritual uh, feel to it. And I am a very spiritual person, which I didn't realize until I didn't have spirituality in my life. And I was yearning for that. And so that was kind of a surprise to find out that, that I could feed myself spiritually through dreams and, and just paying attention, focusing in, I could feed myself. Mm. Yeah, and that seems appropriate for the rest of the dream, too. <laughs> yeah, so it was like divine guidance. Yeah. And what What's better than an angel to represent the divine? Exactly, yeah. As you started talking about it, it seemed like, you know, who who wouldn't heed the message of an angel? It's like, uh, I feel as far as messengers go... <laughs> Right. They're like they're like the top dogs of the messengers. Um, so I, I think the dream definitely really wanted you to be like, okay. Uh, obviously, there's something super important that is like kind of supernatural and mm-hmm. carries that that kind of poignancy with it. So yeah, that's I like that. So then, like the next thing that I'm really struck by is is the contrast here, and I, I love when. When dreams utilize contrast in this uh, in this format, where you, they paint this incredibly beautiful scene, where you, I can't imagine anything more leisurely than sitting on a front porch of an old farmhouse in the middle of the country during autumn when it's nice and sunny, and, and then you have this incredibly stark contrast of what's happening within the house mm-hmm. and the two are at odds with each other mm-hmm. and I've, I've had several dreams like this too and it, i'm curious to see uh what your take is on this so as far as like the the outside scene goes um uh, do you experience this aspect of the dream as kind of like what your hope was or your expectations for how you see yourself or how you deserve to feel right now? Or well, how, how would I, you put that I had in your own words? very hard, like I had been in the field working. Mm. And, you know, this is the thing. It's just coming to me now. Uh, quite often our egos think one thing and yes. spirit thinks something else. <laughs> and, you know... There was a light aspect to 
all the darkness I was going through in my waking life, you know, you're always doing the right thing. You're always on the right path. You're always on your journey. Right. And so I had been doing all the right things. And it had led me to this point that I would learn something amazing about myself. So you could almost see that house as being a piece of fruit. And what was inside it was someone crying and someone in the dark. And so that's like eating yourself, you know, from the inside out, you know? Yes, absolutely. And how we can spoil things for ourselves. So it was really a a beautiful realization. And, you know, we shouldn't shun those, those times in our lives where it's so dark and bleak and and problematic and uh, you know full of obstacles we shouldn't because it's there to teach us something beautiful and so uh, so this dream for me at that time yeah yeah I love that yeah that's I hadn't even that's that was like such a big uh kind of poignant way you just described that that I hadn't even really considered that the house itself is like a fruit. That's... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Wow. Um, yeah, because when I, when I was kind of uh, piecing into the contrast here, it kind of was like, you know, is the outer experience, the outside experience, you know, what what you... I don't know, you'd have to put this in your own words for me, but how you saw yourself or how you expected to feel, it is kind of like an ego projection in my mind mm-hmm. um, of, you know, your what you hoped like the harvest would be for yourself. And then mm-hmm. just within the walls of the house, so like tech, like big, big uh, air quotes here within, like uh, within yourself, mm-hmm. uh, there's this other reality that's happening and right. I, yeah, those contrasts that they that the dream holds like that are just so so wild and profound. But if you think about it, it's the the dark. You know, everything is light and dark. Mm-hmm. The dark part of the dream, the dark, the darkness inside the house with the young woman crying. That. That is really the meaty part. That's the right. that's the juicy part of the dream, and where yeah. you come away with something rewarding just from that experience. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. We're going to come back to uh, your daughter in that instance and what that all means for you. So, I guess in going with this idea of what's happening within you. Uh, I read once that the period of your life where you received the least amount of love is kind of where you got stuck. Yeah. And I've always loved this quote because it rings so true for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what part in your life do you feel like you got stuck? Well, definitely the teenage years. Okay. I would have been pretty shocked to hear otherwise because it... Right. It seems to spell that out here, and it even gives you a pretty poignant phrase to, to really interface with that wounded part of yourself, the teenage scavenger. I think that's so, like, poetic and 
right. so so cool to be able to use that phrase to kind of know how to how to work with it and how to interface with it. Right. And I love it too. It sort of has a sense of humor about it. Yeah. <laughs> and even even the fruit when it was opened, you know, and with a fork and a spoon, silver, of course, like spoiled, right? A spoiled right. child. Um yeah, that it had like a tongue and cheek value to it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because I I know a lot of people in the spiritual community and even in the dream work community, they like to talk about inner child issues, but that's never quite had the same sting to me as like thinking about the wounded teenager. Because mm-hmm. I feel like that's where I got stuck. That's definitely where I got stuck. Um mm-hmm. And all the shadow work that I've been doing has <laughs> almost exclusively been focused around those, you know, four to six years surrounding that that time period. Right. So that's why this dream, when we when you first shared it with me, I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that definitely uh, pings a lot of things for me as well. Right. Well, I was an artist, but that uh, you know, it, from birth and uh it wasn't really recognized in my family and uh, uh i wasn't allowed to express myself and i think that, that the teenage years were really stifling really mm-hmm. stifling i couldn't express myself in anything that i did even in the way i dressed and uh, you know so it was it was a wound that i wasn't being seen or heard listened to and that's a big thing that comes out of this dream, that I should listen, listen to the cries, you know, open myself to become a be- a better listener in my life. Wow. Yeah. I feel like that is the teenage wound. It's like uh, this deep outcry to be loved and to be heard and to be seen and validated in all the ways that we feel are so instrumental to who we are that are just kind of budding out all of a sudden as we try to create this individualized sense of who we are. And I feel the people that are closest to us who have seen us grow up, I don't know, maybe they're, they're too close to us that they, that they can't see what is emerging at the moment. And they're stuck in, you know, who we've always been. And mm-hmm. I think there there is like such a tension and such like a, a miss, just a miss on all sides as far as like. <laughs> it happen easily. It can really happen right. easily. And I think parents have expectations for mm-hmm. the harvest. <laughs> they have They have a certain <laughs> way they want you to grow up. Yep. And. You know, we deviate from that expectation, don't we? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sometimes the only way to have autonomy in that time period is to is to completely rail against the expectation. Right, right. So, I, you know, I, I was an inner rebel, for sure, an inner rebel, but uh, wasn't allowed to, to really rebel, and my daughter really rebelled so she got to express herself in a way that 
had us all stop and dead in our tracks, you know. So, mm-hmm. but it was good, you know. And in the long run, it was a good thing. It woke me up. Awesome. All right. Uh, so I guess we'll actually really dive into the fruit at this point. Uh, can you talk to us a little bit about uh, maybe? I know we've talked about it a little bit, especially now with the the silver spoon aspect coming out. Uh, but I guess what your if you can just rehash what your associations are with the fruit itself, and then uh, maybe we could open up some of the worth issues that the image of them having been eaten kind of brings up. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, at the time when I had the dream, I didn't know that. Any of uh, any of the dream theories that we're pretty familiar with now, like everything in the dream is me. But somehow I knew that. I don't know mm. how, but I maybe it's the artist in me or whatever. But I was just imagining what it was like to be a fruit and the life of the plants, the way that they have evolved so that they feed. Uh, all the animals, uh, fruit, whether they deserve it or not, they, <laughs> they get the fruit. And that is a, of a benefit to the fruit because how, how can they grow? How can they continue to grow? How can they live if their seed isn't dispersed? So I was imagining how that felt. And to grow these beautiful fruits, whether they were appreciated or not, was uh, validating to my own life and uh, it was life-giving to me. It was essential to my going on if I imagined myself as a fruit. So, (laughs) and that's easy. (laughs) So, Uh, so that kind of gave me uh, uh, an epiphany, you know. I, I thought, oh, my God, fruit has to uh, bear, continue to bear and produce. Whether it's, you know, the soil has to be a, a certain way and has to get sunshine and water and all those things. But it tries its hardest no matter what to continue to bear fruit. And and then I thought, you know, I just feel better when I love. It's mm-hmm. like a, a shift. You know, you're feeling miserable. And then if you can get to a place where you can forgive, if you can see something in it that's valuable, if you can feel love and sunshine inside yourself, there's a big shift. And the moment I felt that shift, I knew that that was what the fruit meant. Wow. Yeah, that's huge. It's huge because, I mean, you go from this uh, this uh, kind of disappointing harvest to all of a sudden when you... <laughs> God, there's so, many, there's so many funny puns that are just coming out of my mouth. Like, you dig a little deeper into the fruit. Um, yeah, this whole different, uh, understanding of, you know, what it means to love unconditionally and to 
to bear fruit for the world and for the ones you love in a way that, you know. Even for the ones you don't love. Right. You know, because you can't live if you can't bear fruit. And uh, that fruit is love. And I, I know that about myself. I know that I, I know how unhealthy it is to bear a grudge or to, uh, you know, to have, uh, to feel like a victim, to feel like I've been persecuted or any of those uh, negative feelings. I can't stay there for very long. Yeah. And just feel myself withering up, you know, so like a, a piece of fruit that's just lingering on the vine, you know, and uh, yeah. So I, I have to, in order to stay alive, I have to love. Wow. Beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, so I think we'll, we'll begin to turn towards and have a look at your daughter and kind of unpack uh, how you relate to the image of both the teenage girl and you and, and how the dream at once gives you insight into your relationship with your daughter. And I guess to begin that conversation, I, I've been listening to this podcast by Esther Perel. Are you familiar with her? No, I'm not. She's she's like a Belgium psychotherapist, and she's got this amazing podcast called Where Should We Begin? And it basically, it's basically a one-time session with a client. I guess that's a, the way to put it. And so you get to hear this very intimate uh, therapy session and she's just uh she's so brilliant i can't even i can't even believe how brilliant she is but one of the things she continually comes back to is this phrase that deserving is the entitlement of the deprived for some reason that that phrase kind of kept coming back to me as i was reading through this dream can you say that again yeah deserving is the entitlement of the deprived wow Man, does that fit with this dream? <laughs> yeah, that's like it gives me tingles. It's that's like such a powerful statement, right? And and like uh, the silver spoon, like seemed to poke at the entitlement that often comes with the teenage aura, like like you had mentioned earlier, and mm -hmm. and then just uh, your your hope for the harvest. Um, I guess, how, how does that statement land in you as far as its relationship to this dream? We'll, we'll start there. Well, um, I did. You, teenagers do feel entitled, don't they? Uh, in an in a egoic way, mm -hmm. I guess, because they, they demand that their needs be met. Their needs... And they, it, it's almost like a, it's everything is so do or die. It's like so urgent. Like yeah. uh, it has to be done immediately, even though they've got their whole lives ahead of them. And there's a real impatience to it. And so, yeah, as in, the, in, in my midlife, stuck in my teenage psyche, <laughs> I was like, Thinking only of myself and how it would make me look. I mean, you you called attention to the 
contrast in the dream, the beauty on the outside and then the darkness on the inside. And uh, yeah, I was walking around with a smile on my face and everything was glorious and wonderful, but deep down inside, I didn't feel it. Mm. And, uh, you know, I think that the teenager in me felt uh, deprived, as, as in the statement of the therapist, I felt very deprived of uh, those things that I needed for my ego so that I could look good and and be proud and you know, I really wanted to have one of those bumper stickers on my car that said my student is a, my child is an honor student and <laughs> thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. All right. Um, I guess to, to stay in line with the, the idea of deserving for a moment more, the way she kind of talks about it is if if you're deprived and you do so, and it's kind of like self-inflicted, like maybe you don't feel good enough. And so to to feel like you deserve something, uh, you have to kind of do enough to, to feel deserving or to feel entitled to ask for what you need at that point. Mm-hmm. And I know I know for me, I've I've struggled my whole life with not feeling good enough and constantly feeling like I have to overperform or over give just to feel worthy of receiving that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious in your own life, how does that work within you? Like, do you, do you never allow yourself to receive or is there a bar that once you reach that bar, you're like, now, now I'm entitled. Now you, <laughs> now I'm entitled to deserving something, and I, I expect it at this point. Like, how how does that worth issue kind of? Uh, I think uh, that's perfect the way you put it for yourself. I really identify with that. It's uh, I, I've never felt worthy and actually uncomfortable receiving any attention, any gift. Uh, I'm always the one giving usually. And I don't like surprises. <laughs> and uh, that's another beautiful thing about dream work. I, through the years, realized that I am a poor receiver. Mm. And, uh, uh, but, yeah, that's a very good point. I wasn't, maybe I was braced for disappointment. Maybe I was braced for uh deep down inside didn't feel that I would have a beautiful harvest, even though maybe things were all working out and I just couldn't see it, you know? Mm. Things, you know, for a lifetime of bearing fruit, it, you have to be patient, you have to wait. and uh, It's hard to see that it is unfolding in the right way. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't think I felt deserving no I always had to work harder and harder and you know yeah totally get that yeah yeah it sounds a lot like my fiance she uh she's just constantly giving 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 and I I try to tell her to stop and you know give herself a break even like with Luca it's like you know you need time for yourself 
and she there's always an excuse there's always like uh something more that needs to be done before she can finally relax or she can finally uh stop and rest and take care of herself and i think i've gotten better at that but it's still it's such a i almost said disease but i don't think it's a disease i just think it's uh i don't know what it is what is it (laughs) it's i think it's just something i have to work with and uh Right. These there, there's there's good and bad gone forever, I think. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean there's there's definitely really beautiful aspects to that and mm-hmm. it's all just a balance, I guess. I guess that's what it is. It's well as you were saying that I could just imagine how that, that empty fruit that had been eaten from the inside out, how it starts to fill up again if you just take a little time just yeah. to, to give yourself some attention and some love. And uh, you can just feel the the flesh of that fruit coming back. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think uh, it also it, it brings up these images of voids, and so it, you think about everything we try to fill fill our voids with to to feel whole. You always end up feeling empty because you're going about it the wrong way. That. It does have to come from within, like you just said. It's got to, you got to feel that, feel that, uh, that sense of worth and that, that acceptance of who you are. And, and I think that, I think to, to kind of circle back to the teenage issue, uh, we had talked about there's such an urgency being a teenager and feeling like everything is do or die. And, it's so intense and I, I have to, I don't know, there's just so, there's just such, such an intensity surrounding that time period. And I, and I feel that urgency is, is because you still don't quite know who you are at that point. And so <laughs> the uncomfortability of not feeling like you have arrived mm. just makes you just like so on edge and so, so needing to find that that comfort again because I think you're you're transitioning from childhood into adulthood and so there's that really uncomfortable window of time where you don't have the same unconditional feeling of safety <laughs> that you did when you didn't have to worry about anything and so now all of a sudden uh, there's this just this urgency to arrive and to fill that void, I mean, we're we're constantly scavenging for so many things to try to you know, <laughs> soothe that void. It really is just such a perfect metaphor. And, right. Yeah, and so I think uh, I think you you do kind of arrive when you learn how to feed yourself, and you uh, you kind of slow down, and you you take time for yourself, and you realize that 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 experience does come from within that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I I wonder, I mean, if I could do it all over again, I, I, I'm sure that I would try to build in, in my children an appreciation for a long time and, uh, how, and teach them how to nurture themselves. 
So you're interested in this? You're interested in that? Well, uh, what about reading this book? Or uh, what about going here and spending some time, you know, uh, by yourself in this situation? Or try to teach them how they can give themselves attention and some freedom to explore the things that they really are uh, drawn to. And a yeah. way for them to appreciate nature, too. I mean, nature is all over this dream. And uh, that is such a nurturing thing for any human soul. Right. So, I mean, I, there are probably millions of ways you can do that with a child. But it's something to think about. I'll probably never have that opportunity again. I do have grandchildren, but I don't have much influence over them. But I think you can see... <laughs> That, you know, that I spend a lot of time journaling. They see I spend a lot of time creating things. And um, that that time when I'm just free to express myself. And I think that that, I think that teaches patience and quietness and calmness in a way, you know, that you're not having to go outside yourself and grab at this and grab at that. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, your artwork is so powerful. I feel like your grandchildren, even if they don't really put too much of an interest in it yet, I, I can only imagine that it, it stirs something in them, even if they don't quite know what that is yet. Right. And when, once they finally do start to question those deeper things, I'm sure they'll be coming to you like, what does grandma know that I don't, I, I had, I'm kind of beginning to uncover here because the, I mean, your paintings are so beautiful and so intense that they, they evoke, they evoke so much feeling that I, I can't imagine them being oblivious to it for long <laughs> right well i hope it has a, uh, a good impact but uh, i do i do spend a lot of time in reflection and i think i was always that person but growing up i all the emphasis were put on the outer world and appearances and pleasing others yeah. And so that did leave me empty. And it's amazing, too, being in such a religious family. <laughs> it yeah. seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it can, for right. sure. I guess uh, to kind of start wrapping this up a little bit, in in your blog post about this dream, you had made a comment about how you did kind of helped you kind of reclaim a, a a deeper relationship with your daughter is that correct mm -hmm. right uh, because i think that was sort of a a gentle uh unfolding for my daughter for me it was a a, a big change immediately because the wall came down in the dream so that meant that i wasn't listening it meant mm -hmm. that i ha had put up a barrier and so I just began to open myself instead of closing myself off. When she would talk, I would 
just listen and try to understand it, even though the things that she was experiencing, the things she was into were very different from my upbringing. And I, w I would want to judge it, you know, uh, you know, like that's definitely wrong. Come to some kind of conclusion as she's telling me something. That's the mm -hmm. way it was before. And right. I think she could, she could tell I was changing. And uh, yeah, there was a willingness in me after the stream to just quietly listen and reflect back to her. And I think that that gradually caused a better relationship to, to develop. It took some time for her to trust me, you know? <laughs> right. Right. So, yeah, the, it was an, an immediate shift inside me, but I, I don't think we had any one moment where it, it all came out because I didn't even share this dream with her until years later, and I wrote an article about it, so. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, I would, I would be hard-pressed to imagine there could be a singular moment that could... <laughs> change everything so yeah i mean relationships are so hard and they're just like so hard it's amazing right and oh. you can and you can be listening and not not really listening you know yep. uh, you you have to listen for the emotion that's in between the words so you you, you have it, it's it's a weird thing, isn't it, with two hearts talking to each other? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's a, a wordless conversation, but you, you just feel it. But you have to be vulnerable, I guess, is the word. And maybe that's the wall coming down. Absolutely. And parents want to be tough. You know, they want to, to look resolute to their children, right? And right. they want to, to appear that they know all and they never make mistakes and this kind of perfect picture to their child when it's actually to the parent's benefit and the child's benefit if, you can, if the parent can be vulnerable, you know, just admit, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you say that. I'm sorry, I didn't understand. I, you know, and just admit that, oh, I made a mistake. Right. Yeah, I think that was in uh, Esther Perel's podcast. I think that was another one of the more powerful moments in one of the sessions. Uh, she's talking to this father and he says, he never, he never apologizes to his son when he, when he blows up. And she goes, well, why do, you, why do you not apologize if you know you're wrong? And he says, uh, well, I want to make it look like I'm never wrong and I don't want to lose my authority. And she stops him and she says, uh, well, if you, if you come to your son and you say, I'm sorry, that was, that was all me. That, was, that wasn't you. Um, you teach your son how to be vulnerable, that it doesn't make you less of a man, how to be honest with yourself and your emotions, how to have integrity, how to... <laughs> and she, like, rattles off all these amazing traits that, you know, he would not have gotten otherwise if if he... Uh, 
God, that's beautiful. Yeah, it instills like so many great lessons. Um, and it just like it blew my mind. I was like, wow. Yeah, I we... love that word integrity too. Yeah. Because you show your child that there are things more important than the appearances. There, there are things that you want to be authentic. You want to be true to yourself and higher values. And, and so that's a really wonderful, and it takes courage, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. To do that. So, yeah, it teaches the child so many wonderful things, even though you might think that you you appear weak. I think it shows strength and it shows them how to be strong too. Right. Yeah. And it teaches you how to empathize with people. I mean, there's, it's just like an amazingly long list of qualities that you're able to instill in somebody. If you, if you're able to level with them and you're able to take accountability for your part and it's just, uh, it really is. It's a it's a beautiful, beautiful takeaway. All right. So I guess to end this uh, interview with you, uh, I guess uh, can you just, uh, I guess like briefly, in your own words, summarize? Because it was what twenty years ago this dream. At least that. My yeah. daughter is at that <clears throat> autumn stage in her life now. She's forty-two. And uh, so that's been quite a long time ago. Oh, yeah. So I guess uh, looking back over all these years, um, could you kind of sum up? It's probably beating the horse dead at this point because <laughs> I think we I think we got the the picture. But just uh, if you could create we got a nice all the juice out of the fruit, didn't we? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, but if you could just uh, sum it up in a nice, tidy little statement as far as, like, how this dream has, from that point on, kind of reshaped how how you've experienced yourself and how you've lived your life, I guess. Well, I, I would say that the dream opened me like the piece of fruit, and uh, <laughs> it, 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 like... Uh, Help me find that warm place inside me that's always there, that's always there. And growing up, so much emphasis had been put on thinking rather than feeling. And, uh, you know, in fact, there are Bible verses that say that the heart is a treacherous thing and how it can lead you astray. And I really think that I became more heart-based after this dream. And I, I really think if we genuinely follow our hearts, that there's no mistake in that. And that we will be able to love even through difficult times. And we'll be able to love ourselves. So I, I learned to love myself, or at least find that way toward loving myself. So I'm very grateful for the dream. And it also made me appreciate dreams. Mm. I didn't know at that time just how rich dreams were and that there was so much to learn from just sitting with the dream and the imagery and the feelings. And I learned about projection. I learned about all those things 
long time before I started studying about dreams and, and joining in with the dreaming community. Wow. Well, thank you for that. That was really beautiful. Well, I've really enjoyed this, Stephen. Yeah, thank you. Me too. This was, uh, this was very nice. We'll have to do this again sometime. Okay. I'm all for that. <laughs> yeah, because you have uh, a whole slew of really powerful dreams that hopefully we'll get to talk about. Awesome. Hi, it's your co-host, J.M. DeBoard. What a dream, huh? Brenda is an inspiration for us to give our dreams attention and care, to ponder their messages and meaning, and foster the conditions for growth in ourselves and in our lives. Brenda found within herself a voice that needed her to listen. The voice of a wounded teenager crying, literally crying to be heard. Our dreams are full of such voices that want to be heard, and they reward us when we listen and respond. Every dream symbol is like a picture that says a thousand words, and those words pour forth when you quiet your mind, focus your attention, and walk through the memory of a dream with your heart open and your curiosity peaked. My co-host Stephen and I can attest to the magic that happens when you ask questions such as, what does that part of the dream really mean? Who is that dream character and what does it want to say? And what's new that I can learn? Listening, that's the essential skill for tending to your dreams. Brenda says that she learned from her dream how to sit quietly with her daughter and reflect her back with true empathy to really hear and not judge, criticize, or get defensive. That's what every dream needs of you as its parent. After all, you are the creator and parent of your dreams, and somewhere inside of yourself, you must know what they mean. You know what they are saying, even if you think you don't know. Brenda demonstrates for us how to sit with a dream and let it speak, how to find its connections with her inner life and outer life, how to decode its symbolic imagery, how to trace the feelings to their source. This is how you use your dreams to sow the seeds for future growth and happiness. Brenda says that joining a dream-sharing community helped her greatly with understanding her dreams better. I suggest that you check out dreams.reddit.com, the largest dream-sharing community on the internet. I'm known as Rat Owl there, and I've been a community moderator since 2012. That experience taught me how to teach the interpretation of dreams simply and effectively, and you can learn this one-of-a-kind knowledge from me at dreamschool.net, the online home for courses in dream interpretation and exploration. I'm the author of the books Rat Owl's Crash Course in Dream Interpretation and the Dream Interpretation Dictionary. My partner in the dream, Mr. Stephen Ernenwine, is known as AQ the Dreamwalker, who brings healing to hip-hop through music he creates and the pearls he shares, inspired by his dreams. That's the letters A and Q, the, and Dreamwalker, one word. Search online to find him at YouTube, Instagram, and his music at Amazon. His album, titled The Night Sea Journey, chronicles his growth as a person and artist. It's the nectar he juiced from his dreams, and it's delicious. You'll hear it when you check it out. Brenda's website is brendafaramanidreamart.com. 
Ferramani, F-E-R-R-I-M-A-N-I. Her art is off the hook amazing. Trust us, drop by and check it out. Friends, sharing is caring. Share this podcast and help us spread the word that dreams truly can shape us. See you again for the next episode.